the mouth really is one of the best signs to measure health all over the body. And so there's a fascinating story into how your dental health reflects, you know, for your whole body health. So we've actually killed off the diversity of uh, bacteria that live in the mouth and that's when we begin to get disease. There are some studies that show that uh, using an, an alcohol mouthwash every day can increase your risk of type 2 diabetes. If you think about your diet, if you're not uh, you know, looking to source or understanding where your fat-soluble vitamins are coming from, you're likely deficient in them. Mouth breathing doesn't deliver oxygen as it should, and it also stunts growth and, for instance, wow. predisposes to sleep apnea as well. So when you breathe through your mouth in the night, you're basically starving your brain of oxygen. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment podcast. I'm your host, Seem Lund, and our guest today is Dr. Stephen Lin from Australia. Stephen is a functional dentist, a TED speaker, a best-selling author of the book, The Dental Diet, and a health advocate. His work focuses on understanding dental disease through nutritional principles. Stephen, I want to welcome you to the podcast, and I'm so glad that you could make it. Hey, Stephen, it's such a pleasure. Lovely to meet you, and thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. Like, I'm always curious about you know, what makes someone want to become a dentist? What made you want to start uh, fixing people's teeth and dental health? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. Um, I was actually a, a strange child in that I was quite obsessed with my teeth. And I was very obsessed with um, kind of brushing my teeth, actually. I remember watching my, um, my sister brush in the bathroom, and she was always not very good at it and she wouldn't pay attention. I would kind of be looking at her thinking, you, you're not doing it properly and you need to, you need to do a better job. And I remember going to the, our first dental check and when she w went back in the chair, she opened up her mouth and I could see a hole in her tooth. Wow. And that was probably my first dental check. But I, I remember thinking like, wow, this is, um, you know, and, you know, I really tease about that. But that was, I was always interested in teeth. And, you know, it was something that I felt was important and that kind of resonated later on uh, in, in my career as well, or how I cho chose my career. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Like it's, it's something that parents do tell their children that you need to brush your teeth and uh, don't eat too much sugar. And, uh, and, uh, but it's still like people tend to have a lot of dental issues, especially in the modern world. So what's, what's the current state of dental health in Australia right now? Well, the state of dental health in Australia is very simil similar to the state of dental health in most other uh, modern westernized countries in that uh, dental disease is some of the most common chronic conditions that we see in society. And it's basically not getting any better. You know, tooth decay is sitting at about, um, you know, a rate of around 30% in kids and um, carrying through into adulthood. Uh, that's a little bit higher in some countries, but... Uh, Gum disease heads up to about you know eighty percent in, uh, in in most of the population. That's probably conservative. You know, if you measure bleeding gums, you know most people have some level of it. Uh, but the big one that we don't think about is crooked teeth and why kids need braces and uh, why teeth don't fit into jaws and and the the craniofacial system. That's something that we don't talk about very often. And it's an issue that has really popped up very recently, even in our uh, context 
uh, you know, in terms of the last decades, I think if you talk to your grandparents uh, and, you know, the, the amount of people that had braces on orthodontic work, just say 20 or 30 years ago has uh, dramatically spiked since then, but also wisdom teeth extractions. So why people need their wisdom teeth out in their early 20s? That's also an issue that's very, very common and we don't talk about. And these are all problems that are chronic, they're long-standing, and they're signs that the body is not getting uh, what it needs to to grow and develop properly, but also manage its hard structures, calcium, the immune system. And the mouth really is one of the best signs to measure health all over the body. And so there's a fascinating story into how your dental health reflects, you know, for your whole body health. Mm. Yeah, like you mentioned in your book that uh, dental health or poor dental health is the first signs of some health issues in the entire body. And uh, it kind of makes sense as well because your, your mouth is the first point of contact with the world in a sense that you, you taste your senses that are actually going to experience the environment that you're surrounded by as well, like the food that you put into yourself. It's, it's almost like some sort of blueprint or some sort of genetic code that you get that gets that's that's going to influence the entire other metabolic process as well and also like i believe like the other senses are going to be affected by this as well like the olfactory bulb with which you detect smells with is right behind your mouth also so it's very closely linked with all of your senses absolutely and you really hit a, an important point there because your cranial nerves uh you know there's a vast majority that that um, innovate into the oral cavity. If you think about just your tongue, there's like five cranial nerves that innovate your tongue and the different modalities of that, um, that the purposes for that, but also the messages it sends back to your brain is critical. And so just for instance, your tongue posture and how you hold your tongue is important for sending uh, you know, certain neurological messages to your brain and then controlling the airways and, and so on, so on. So the, the importance of your mouth really cannot be um i don't think it could be overstated at all mm. Mm, yeah and uh, i believe like hippocrates said that all disease begins in the gut but uh, what makes the gut sick is what you put into your mouth first so man <laughs> i guess you're more correct than uh, hippocrates in this in this sense then because the, the dental health is really like the gateway drug to your overall health so yeah it's really it's exactly that's really interesting because he was well ahead of his curve in terms of understanding because that's only a very very recent uh trend that we've had in healthcare understanding that the gut is so crucial for many many disease processes and so we've lost that and and so now we can go back to it and really the mouth is the beginning so it's a whole new way of looking at uh you know health and and uh problems that can happen mm. but uh, is is poor dental health a matter of uh, genetics aging or something like that? There are um, some genetic factors that will predispose you to certain conditions, but largely all uh, conditions in the mouth, you know, over 95% uh, will, um, are dictated by your habits, by or the um, especially chronic conditions, epigenetics, which is now what we're talking about. So how, you know, your environment, the signals you send from your habits, your lifestyle, your food, your, uh, you know, every single, you know, whether it's your stress, um, breathing, sleep, that's sending signals to your uh, genetic material and your mouth is a, a, a very quick responder to all of that. And so tooth decay, gum disease, crooked teeth, wisdom teeth impact, 
impactions. They are all epigenetic signals. They're chronic problems where we either haven't given our body the right nutrients, we haven't repopulated the right microbes, or we haven't sent the right physical um, messages that um, enable the mouth to manage itself as it's designed to. Mm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, and in most of the other diseases are also like influenced by these epigenetic factors like lifestyle and habits. And it's, it's not so, it's not, it's not very right to, it's not appropriate to shrug it off and to point your genetic, point it towards your genetics or bad genes because, yeah, you're still responsible for, you know, what, what you do put in your mouth. Menace to society. So what are like the biggest factors, contributing factors to uh, teeth decay? Tooth decay? Yeah, tooth so, decay. so tooth, yeah, tooth decay really, um, you know, we see it as this very superficial. Uh, our approach to it uh, is that, you know, you have to brush your teeth, you have to scrub the surface of them to take plaque off. You should use a fluoride um, toothpaste other in your water, which uh, changes the tooth enamel, the surface of the teeth. And you should reduce your sugar uh, amount because sugar uh, changes or fuels a certain type of bacteria that we know causes tooth decay. But that's a very superficial way of looking at the disease process. And in the last kind of decade, we've really kind of um, understood some of the scientific processes in the mouth that describe tooth decay as a much, much more in-depth process. And so the first one is that in each of your teeth, there is our immune cells. And these immune cells uh, come from your, your bone marrow, the stem cells. And so the, when your stem cells from your bone are coming out into the body, they either become bone-making cells or, or immune cells. And some also become teeth cells, and they're called odontoblasts. And they actually have the ability to protect your teeth against decay. They also can rebuild your tooth structure if there is a, like a small amount of decay they can remineralize and heal your tooth now that's not something that we under we really kind of acknowledge as being a significant factor in decay but these cells are run by a set of nutrients uh called the fat soluble vitamins vitamin a vitamin d vitamin k2 the same ones that direct your bones the same ones that direct your immune system and your teeth have the ability to have this immune response if you feed your body the right things then on the outside you have the all the microbes that live in the mouth and we now know that there are thousands and thousands of bacteria that live in the mouth the gut uh well trillions of bacteria actually and we've kind of seen tooth decay as an infection of harmful bacteria but what that really is is it's a loss of the ecological balance in this um microbiome uh ecology that allows or takes away the, the the normal balance and health of the mouth and then so you lose the probiotic species that protect you against tooth decay and then you get the ones that cause problems start coming in and uh, basically overrunning everything and so that is a much more complex uh kind of physiological explanation of why tooth decay occurs you don't feed your immune system the right nutrients and you don't have the probiotic uh, bacteria or um, ecological environment in the oral microbiome that then balances that. And so that's what's happening in your tooth enamel every second of every day. You have this battle going on between bacteria, food, nutrients, and if you eat the right things, you can actually replenish your body so that never happens regardless of whether you um, brush your teeth 
or not. And I'm not saying don't brush your teeth, but we can put that into perspective as being quite a superficial factor in all of this when all of it, you have the ability to change it all. People, you will brush your teeth in a rapid vertical motion for one minute. Hmm. Yeah, like, it's, so it's like an imbalance in the bacteria in your mouth and your gut. Exactly. And so what the study shows is that people, uh, for instance, hunter-gatherers, they've done archae- um, anthropological studies where we, uh, they've actually scraped the calcified plaque off the fossils of hunter-gatherers and they find that their plaque, the, they can um, sequence the, the bacteria that live in the plaque. They're much more diverse than what we have living in our mouth today. So we've actually killed off the diversity of uh, bacteria that live in the mouth and that's when we begin to get disease and it's very similar to an ecological environment when you take away uh, certain species or uh, the biodiversity uh, as a whole then you start to get the whole system suffering and you um, you get uh, for instance pest overrunning or certain species of plants don't don't grow it's the same thing happening in your mouth hmm. Yeah, like, uh, and when you look at like these hunter-gatherer tribes, then most of their teeth, they're, they're, they're all, you know, great. They don't have teeth decay and uh, it's crazy, crazy when you compare it to the Western teeth. That's exactly right in that uh, all the, if you talk to any anthropologist and most of the records that anthropologists look at and even archaeologists uh, in terms of what the human remains, the most common bone that is left in the fossil record is the jaw and the teeth. And so what happens is that, you know, we basically give our ancestors a dental check to see what they ate, to see what their health was like. And anthropologists laugh at you when you ask them about dental disease and it doesn't happen. You know, crooked teeth don't happen. Wisdom teeth impactions don't happen. Tooth decay doesn't only happen in very, very small isolated patches. And, you know, that's a perspective we've lost. And so what we see in the dental surgery today is a vast uh, deviation from, you know, the, we're talking about 2 billion uh, years of, you know, fossil records there. And we've changed the very, very last spot from the industrial and agricultural revolution. So it's a tiny, tiny blip on the radar. Mm, right. And uh, you also mentioned like these stem cells that are going to uh, rejuvenate the the uh, teeth in a sense like uh, is, is it can the body heal itself uh, without any like um, external external assistance you know can the stem cells completely fix your tooth decay or do you need to still implement some you know some uh, practices so it depends so it will depend on what type of or how deep or how extensive the lesion is so in the tooth has and there's a diagram in the book has three layers. It's got the tooth enamel you've got, and the dentin, which is underneath. And that is where the stem cells uh, are capable of repairing because they live in the, the pulp, which is the nerve and blood supply of the tooth inside the dental pulp. And so what these cells can do is that they have the capability to repair uh, the dentin uh, because they, they basically control, uh, even by neural signals, some studies show that there are... Um, they're actually neural responses and they create uh, a very interesting network of um, repair signals that, that will then tell the body to uh, remake uh, basically dentin. Uh, but tooth enamel, if you lose tooth enamel because that doesn't have its own cells, you can't, well, at, to our knowledge now, you can't um, 
uh, regrow that. So dentin, yes. Tooth enamel, you probably need a filling for that. Yeah. So, but the, the big message there is that anyone with tooth decay should be thinking about how their body and how they're feeding these stem cells because these fat-soluble nutrients are how you fuel them and you don't if, you, if you're not eating those nutrients. Mm. So, so what are those new nutrients that you mentioned earlier? They were like fat soluble vitamins, or yep. So the the three key ones are vitamin A, vitamin D, and vitamin K two. And so these uh, fats, they're nutrients that come from a very specific set of foods. Uh, they come from animal products. Uh, we don't get them from um, from plant products. They're actually converted. We convert a small amount from plant products into uh, into um, the active forms in the body. But for the most part, we get vitamin D from the sun. We get vitamin D from um, foods like fatty fish, some organ meats, uh, egg yolks. We get vitamin A from organ meats and um, uh, egg yolks as well, some cheese, some uh, grass-raised dairy. Vitamin K2 from uh, the same kind of foods again, butter, uh, organ meats, egg yolks, and so if we're not getting these from well-sourced animal products, you don't get these nutrients. And so studies have showed, actually there was a Russian study that uh, showed hunter-gatherer tribes that were taken onto the modern diet. They tested their vitamin D levels. As soon as they went off their uh, traditional diets, their vitamin D levels dropped. Mm. And so if you think about your diet, if you're not uh, you know, looking to source or understanding where your fat-soluble vitamins are coming from, you're likely deficient in them. And that's generally what I see in practice. And it's what I see in terms of what we think is being healthy eating as well. Mm, yeah, crazy. Like uh, people don't eat organ meats or they don't eat uh, wild-caught uh, salmon anymore because it's not a part of culture. <laughs> and uh, and uh, when you look at the ancient hunter-gatherer diets, then that's what they mostly ate, you know, these bone broth soups and uh, collagens and organ meats and then yeah it's, it's they're like packed with those incredibly nutrient dense vitamins that we all need and we don't get them anymore so it's, it's it's a huge shame it's it's a huge change yeah and you know if you look at every culture throughout the world in nearly every case there are dishes designed around organ meats and uh and, you know, I think probably your parents and grandparents would also, you would probably remember them or they would at least talk about some dishes where they had organ meats, right? Because every single culture did. And, and we've just lost that in the space of, you know, two to three decades. And so that's what's really gone wrong with our diet. And we really need to kind of understand that. Mm. But uh, what about like uh, fiber? You, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk about how you need to eat a lot of fiber for your gut health. Does it, does it, can fiber have an like, impact on your dental health as well? Absolutely, absolutely. And so really, the, when we talk about fat-soluble nutrients, the way I try to put it is that when you're eating those nutrient-dense foods like egg yolks, um, you know, butter, uh, fatty cuts of meat, you're feeding your own body because they're the nutrients that your body needs to be strong. But when you're eating things like vegetables and fiber-rich foods, you're for the most part feeding the bacteria that live in your mouth and gut. And so the reason why is that your body itself doesn't uh, metabolize or digest uh, fiber. We don't break down. It will pass through a digestive system without anything happening. But what happens is the bacteria need that and they use that as fuel. They eat the fiber and they release metabolites called short-chain fatty acids, as an example for one, that do things in the body. Hmm. 
So these molecules actually send messages across our gut. They send messages to the immune system. They send messages all throughout the body. But this is happening in the mouth in terms of when you eat fiber. So when we reduce fiber in the uh, diet, we reduce the diversity of bacteria of which we just talked about. So the way to prevent tooth decay, and we mentioned this in the first line, is to eat lots of fat-soluble nutrients, eat lots of fiber. You've got a, an immune system inside your teeth and you've got a, a happy, diverse uh, oral microbiome. You're never going to get tooth decay. And that's what our ancestors did for thousands of years. Mm. And probably like fermented foods also fall into this same category, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So that's, they're the ones that are replenishing them, giving probiotic bacteria and giving that diversity back. Because you know, in fermented foods, if you look at what we understand is happening, we bear, we've barely identified or sequenced uh, a very small percentage of the bugs that are, or the processes that are happening. And so there are things going on that we vastly don't understand. So fermented foods provide a very diverse set of uh, bacterial um, colonies uh, types that we simply don't understand. So yes, we're doing, you know, probably health benefits that we're, we're for decades, we're probably not even going to understand the full extent of. Hmm. And uh, there's recently been also like this very popular, the carnivore diet where people only eat uh, meat and steaks and such. Uh, like you're a dentist as well. Like uh, what, how, how from the perspective of the uh, evolutionary design of the human jawline and the teeth, how is, is it, does it make sense for us to eating meat or, or are we like this sort of frugivores like some people claim to be? So yeah, so the jaw generally shows us that we are omnivorous. Yeah, so we are designed, so we've separated from, um, so our kind of ape ancestors were um, herbivores. And so they had these very big, powerful jaws that were designed to chew raw um, and um, raw vegetables and, and fiber. And so they had to chew for many, many hours of the day. Now, we, our jaws have actually shrunk um, and what, what happens is that um, when our jaws shrunk because we, we don't have to chew as much. And so what largely made us human was that we, uh, we began to cook food and, and we began to eat meat. There were two evolutionary changes that, that really changed our body and physiology to become uh, human in that our digestive system changed because we began to eat meat and vegetables. And that's how our large intestines change so apes have very big large intestines that need to ferment uh, raw vegetables and our um our small intestines are much bigger and so that means that we are able to extract nutrients from cooked foods and so what this allows us to do is our digestive system allows us to take nutrient dense food and some vegetables as well uh and grow a very large brain and so that's where evolutionarily we, we, we're at in terms of understanding uh, how our diet shaped us to be human, more or less. And it's very connected to the jaw, teeth, digestive system, but also our brains as well. Hmm. Like the teeth are yeah, designed, we have like a variety of teeth we can uh, break up or we can tear down different types of foods. So. Yeah, exactly. So we can rip and tear, we can um, you know, grind and chew. Uh, yeah, but it, it, exactly. So it's, it's, we, we basically have the ability to do both which is what um, you know, humans, what we genuinely understand is uh, you know, what our native diet is. Mm, yeah, and also like if you didn't have this, this specific type of uh, 
jawline or the specific type of uh, teeth, then you wouldn't be able to, you know, you know, eat these kinds of organ meats and these other fat soluble uh, nutrients as well. So it makes sense. Yeah, and digestive system as well. The the, the big one is um, we're the only species on the planet that eats cooked foods, uh, and so our digestive system is specifically designed for that as well. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Thank. It's like a, one of the biggest leaps in human history of uh, cooking. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it made us us, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what about uh, crooked teeth? What, what is causing that kind of a problem? Crooked teeth is a, um, it, it's a very complex issue. And so what we find is that when people uh, eat the modern diet in one generation, so they'll, uh, they'll live in a place with the same genetic uh, lineage, eating the same food, they'll never have crooked teeth, never have uh, wisdom teeth impactions until they eat the modern diet. And then the way... Uh, price show when we look at how this happens is that uh, when you there's there's a factor of chewing so physical actual chewing and the the uh, factors of using the jaw as a musculoskeletal joint and so it's just like any other joint. when you take chewing out of that um, equation you don't develop the same uh, physical factors that mm. develop the that build the joint and so that's one factor that we've we've taken out the modern diet uh, you know, hyper-processes food. And the, it begins right in childhood. We give basically mush to our, to our yeah, children yeah. and we stop breastfeeding. That's one big factor. Uh, the second factor is those fat-soluble nutrients. So when the body doesn't have the, uh, the, gr the bone-growing factors, it seems to slow down how our craniofacial structure uh, grows. And so we know that, for instance, vitamin D deficiency will change the uh the growth of a, a like a leg bone and so for instance in rickets uh but so when we take away those nutrients that carry calcium and also signal hormonal growth so insulin um insulin like growth factor uh growth hormone these are influenced by vitamin d vitamin k2 will tr trigger testosterone these are all signals that grow the jaw we know uh people um we can actually intervene in the growth of the jaw by uh, giving hormones um, replacement therapy, for instance. Um, and then the other factors are breathing. So when we don't breathe through the nose properly, the upper jaw doesn't develop as it should and function as well. So, so uh, where the tongue sits, how we close our lips. And that is an ongoing process in developing a, a wide, healthy face. Hmm. So what should be like the, the resting position for your pattern for your jawline yeah so the re the resting p position should be your tongue suctioned up against the roof of your mouth and 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 your lips closed and basically so that that gets you and if you do that if you try and suction your tongue to the and try and breathe through your mouth then when your tongue is suctioned against the you can't do it so what that does is it forces you to breathe through the nose then. And then so your resting position should be slow nasal breathing, upright um, spine, tongue to the roof of the mouth, lips closed. And then you're delivering all of the messages, the physical messages, you're delivering oxygen more efficiently to your body. And you're, in children, we can actually correct teeth now because their jaws will actually grow uh, when they send these physical signals. Mouth breather. Hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Like uh, when you look at all of all of them, come down to uh, like the position of the head as well. Like people 
they have these uh, the uh, the smartphone syndrome or what they call it, like where, where you're slightly leaning forward and your your spine is always crooked as well, and you take out these small pieces, and uh, yeah, you end up with many of many of the other issues uh, that all get linked back to your general lifestyle. So it's quite crazy. Absolutely. Posture is a huge factor. Um, and the thing is too, is that often people, if you have a high palate and skinny um, upper jaw, you're forced to breathe through the mouth. And so people that breathe through the mouth will often have that forward posture. And, and that's to actually open the airway because when they sit back, they don't have the, the, the structure to breathe through their nose comfortably. And so people and kids especially will, will be predisposed to leaning forward in that in that um, posture you just described there and open their mouth. And so mouth breathing then becomes a habit and that's really only what we should use for survival. Mouth breathing doesn't deliver oxygen as it should and it also stunts growth and, for instance, wow. predisposes to sleep apnea as well. So when you breathe through your mouth in the night, you're basically starving your brain of oxygen. So there's a plethora of, of things that can go wrong when you don't do this properly. But Oscar is different. Honey, he's a mouth breather. What? Well, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, like uh, you wouldn't think that just uh, this small little fix in breathing patterns can have a huge impact. So how do, how would you like uh, implement, how would someone fix their uh, mouth breathing patterns? So the, it's really retraining yourself to breathe through the nose. And so there's a couple of things you can do. You can do um, tongue exercises. You can do nasal breathing exercises. You can tape your mouth at night. That's one thing um, you might've seen people doing that. But what that does, it helps you to, if you breathe through your nose for eight hours in the night, you're going to wake up and you're going to feel amazing. Um, some people need to kind of train themselves into doing that. But really what we should be um, uh, aiming for is, is getting the oral structures to be sitting closed even when you go to sleep. And so instead of breathing through the mouth, we should be uh, having that rest posture, breathing through the, the, the nose. Hmm. And what about braces? Uh, is it like, uh, are, are braces effective in treating dental health or are they simply like some sort of a quick fix? Braces uh, treat the symptom of crooked teeth. So crooked teeth are a symptom of the teeth not being fitting into the jaw. So braces correct the teeth, but they don't address the problem of uh, why the teeth were crooked in the first place. And so cosmetically, uh, they might help to, to straighten the smile out, but there might be breathing issues. There might be sleep issues. Some people have extractions, for instance, uh, before or braces. And that, uh, by definition now, we know it, um, it actually uh, decreases the volume of the airway. Hmm. And so uh, when we have crooked teeth and what we call malocclusion uh, for uh, in for dental diagnosis, there really should be a, a much broader functional approach to get the, the body working properly. But then also potentially we can also expand uh, adults as well uh, in terms of how um, by a simple palatal expander and in kids, we should certainly, certainly expand. We should never be taking teeth out and braces should always be the last thought to make sure that all of this is working right. And then if we still want braces then to correct the teeth, then we put them on. Mm. So, so yeah, like it still comes down to yeah, fixing or solving a lifestyle issue. And uh, what about some gum issues? Like, why do people get these uh, 
bleeding gums and such? Yeah, bleeding gums is probably one of the first signs you can get from your body that your gut is unhappy. And so if you think about the mouth, it's an interface between immune cells and bacteria. And the same thing in a larger proportion is happening in your gut. And so when your immune system isn't happy, it becomes inflamed. And so that's a loss of crosstalk between the trillions of bacteria and your immune system that sits in your gut. That's where 80% of it happens. But then the signs in your mouth are that you get bleeding gums. And so if you do have bleeding gums, you should be thinking, my immune system isn't happy. I've got inflammation. How can I get this back to, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, it, a, a more balanced and, um, and kind of uh, less inflamed environment. And so that is about getting the, the right bacteria there. It's about feeding your immune system the right thing. So that's those fat soluble vitamins. It's about feeding lots of fiber. It's about getting your body and di whole digestive system uh, back to a state of lower inflammation. Hmm. But uh, what, what would be some foods that you should avoid instead that you know, promote inflammation? Yeah, well, I mean, the foods that promote inflammation are the ones that uh, promote uh, bacterial imbalance, so that's sugar, white flour. So anything with white flour, white refined flour metabolizes very similarly in the body to sugar. It's almost, it does break down to sugar. It has the same metabolic effect on your bacteria. But the big one I think that a lot of people eat today um, uh, are vegetable oils. And the reason why they're such a problem is that they're, uh, very unfamiliar to the body, and these create, I think, inflammation uh, via this, uh, you know, because we put them in a lot of foods now, and your body is basically being fed something it doesn't recognize, and that's what caused, that's what inflammation is. It's the body's immune reaction to a, a molecule it's not happy with or it's, or it's not familiar with. So when you put these things in your body, processed foods, anything packaged really, is going to uh, create some level of inflammation because your body doesn't recognize it. Mm. Yeah, like and all, most of your immune system is located in your gut, so it's directly linked to your overall well-being as well. Absolutely, eighty percent. Yeah, it's it's huge, and so you should always be thinking when you look at your mouth, you should be thinking your gut as well because they're t they're they're both connected. Hmm. Yeah, true. And these things like trans fats, margarine, vegetable oils, th those are one of the most inflammatory things in that we could potentially consume because yeah they're going to offset the the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acid ratio as well so it's a huge issue absolutely it's a huge issue and one of the, the big important things we miss as well is that uh the fats that you eat uh your body needs to use them to transport fat soluble nutrients around so your blood cholesterols and so when you put these like margarines and these refined oils that your body doesn't recognize at all uh, your, your, that's what makes up your blood cholesterol. And then that's what goes down the, into your arteries to create inflammation and you know, probably uh, you know, put us at risk of cardiovascular disease and so on and so on. But they're also not transporting these crucial fat-soluble vitamins, which we've talked about as being so important. Mm, and and uh, like most of your cells are actually made of the, of the fat that you eat. And if you eat these inflammatory trans fats, then yeah, you're going to be made up of, you know, uh, dysfunctional fat cells. Vodka margarine! That's a great point people miss as well. You know, that every, nearly every cell membrane you have is made up of fat. And mm. also immune cells as well. Immune cells are made up of fat as well. 
And so this idea that we're scared of fat and, you know, what we should really be doing is looking at eating the right natural fats. Mm, true, true. And eliminating the bad ones. Is there anything better than butter? Let's talk about like brushing teeth. Um, everyone talks that the poor dental health is caused by not brushing teeth. And uh, how would you go about explaining to, you know, what's the actual, what's the actual issue is? Yeah, the way I would describe it is that if you have a problem with your car and uh, you know, the engine's not working, do you take it to the car wash or do you take it to the, to the mechanic to look under the bonnet? Of mm. course, you would take it to the mechanic to look under the, the bonnet. You know, uh, going to the car wash you know, will give you a nice paint job, but it doesn't address the issue underneath. And so that's what brushing more or less is. It gives us a nice superficial way to kind of uh, keep the our teeth and mouth uh, functioning uh, nicely, but it's, it's very superficial in that it doesn't address the root cause of why diseases happen. So tooth decay, gum disease are nutrient deficiencies. They're imbalances in, micro, in the microbiome. They are nutritional problems and you should be thinking about your food instead of simply scrubbing and disinfecting. And that's one big problem with um, mouthwashes, for instance, and this idea that we need to constantly disinfect the mouth is that we're potentially killing bacteria that protect us against, um, uh, against diseases. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't brush your teeth, but using antibacterials, for example, could be potentially harmful. And there are some studies that show that uh, using an, an alcohol mouthwash every day can increase your risk of type 2 diabetes. Yeah. And, that, yeah, and that actually speaks to how you lose diversity in the mouth, and then that communicates to your gut. And so that's a very nice way of kind of um, illustrating how the, the diverse uh, environment in your mouth is important for your whole body. Mm. So I would also imagine like this stuff like Listerine and these uh, mouthwashes, they're going to wipe out all of the bacteria in your mouth and that's going to actually promote disease or poor dental health, am I right? Yeah, that's just what we're beginning to understand. That so, uh, if you look at the mechanism of what we understand alcohol doing, we only know half of the species that live in the mouth now. So we don't we don't understand what's there. We don't understand what these. So if you throw, it's like sending a grenade into your mouth, yeah. and you don't know what's happening, right? And so yeah. that's how you should look at antibacterials: is that we don't understand the full context. You should be using natural food and uh, you know ways that that are uh, much more conducive to the whole environment rather than thinking of these um, antibacterial. There are some applications, but they're very small and in treatment um, context, I think. Mm, yeah. So how would you go about uh, brushing your teeth? You know, how often and uh, what kind of a toothpaste would you use? Yeah, brushing teeth twice a day is fine. Floss once. Um, uh, yeah, just water is fine. But I mean, a toothpaste that's based with something like baking soda or you can use coconut oil, you know, it really is your own preference. You know, sometimes an essential oil you can use or cinnamon. Um, but, you know, it, it really, I would be avoiding, um, you know, kind of these heavy antibacterial uh, chemical laden ones just because we don't know what they do in the mouth. Hmm. So the standard uh, fluoride rich toothpaste aren't, aren't any good, right? Well, the problem with a, a fluoride toothpaste as well is that the concentration is at water fluoride concentration, which is known to be effective at, um, systemically anyway. So putting a fluoride toothpaste on uh, topically on your teeth isn't effective anyway. You need a much higher concentration of fluoride. So no, a, to a fluoride toothpaste isn't effective every day. Hmm. Hmm. 
So, but what about this uh, charcoal toothpaste with uh, active charcoal? Yeah, so I mean, activated charcoal is an absorber, so they can have a. Um, uh, it's more in a tooth whitening, so they they do. Um, they they can have a, a beneficial tooth whitening effect, but I would just be careful because they can be very abrasive, and so you can actually damage your tooth enamel if you do it every day. So I wouldn't use them every day. I would only use it, say, once every couple of weeks or so. Hmm. Just, but do you use like uh, oil pulling with coconut oil as well, or? Yeah, you can. Uh, you know, for me, I always tell my patients to eat more, eat more coconut oil because that fats. Uh, yeah, but you know, if if that's what your preference is, then um, yeah, that that you know, the coconut oils, uh, you know, is great for the mouth because it really is neutral to those harmful bacteria. Mm. And it kind of kind of absorbs them or pulls them out as well if you spit them uh, with the with the water out as well. Yeah, we're not really sure what it does chemically, but there's, um, we know fats in general are much more conducive to a healthy uh, bacterial environment rather than, say, simple carbohydrates, yeah. Proper dental hygiene is an important component in maintaining of a healthy fighting man. Right, right. Uh, yeah, it's quite crazy to think about how your mouth is so detrimental for your overall health. So let's start wrapping this up as well. Like, What would be some of the principles of good uh, dental nutrition? Good dental nutrition, so number one, uh, closed mouth, breathing through the nose. So I, or in the book, we go through exercises bef- uh, set through the 40-day program where you breathe through the nose before you eat. And that actually sets your digestive system up uh, to, um, to both uh, be autonomically ready for food, but it also helps to del- deliver oxygen. Oxygen is the number one nutrient your body needs, so you should always be thinking on how you're delivering that. That's through the nose, with a closed mouth, to, with your tongue to the roof, uh, to the palate. Then food rich in fat-soluble nutrients. You need to think about eating your egg yolks, your butter, your natural fats, your organ meats once a week or a couple times a week if you can uh, in order to get these nutrients because if you don't, you're not getting them. I would recommend getting tested for vitamin D. Uh, then foods rich in fiber, prebiotics, uh, probiotic foods like fermented foods. And then the epigenetics of food, which is the sourcing of them. So how you um, understand how your, your food is raised, uh, you know, what chemicals they use. I would try to at least in some part understand that because that's epigenetically what you're delivering to your plate and what would be delivered to your own genes as well. Hmm. What does a chewing gum do to your mouth? Well, chewing gum, uh, it, depending on what's in it, I would be careful with some of the chemicals they put in chewing gum. So uh, stay away from artificial sweeteners. Uh, some chewing gum has sugar in it. Definitely don't have that. Um, but if you, you can have some chewing gums that, you know, chewing can be beneficial, so it can help with the jaw uh, growth and, and whatnot. So uh, just be careful with what um, components are in it. Mm, yeah, it kind of just simply reminded me of the uh, the importance of uh, chewing your food that you mentioned earlier, because uh, like, yeah, it's, it's, it actually develops your brain in a sense that I, I found some studies that the chewing uh, increases BDNF in your brain as well. And, you know, BDNF is important for mem- memory and learning. So it makes sense that, you know, children, they would also have to be breastfed in a sense of the, they have to develop this uh, 
the chewing motion or the suckling motion to actually develop and to grow their brain in a sense. So maybe chewing gum can, you know, help to fix that issue <laughs> if you're not, uh, get, if you're not uh, eating, you know, raw food that you have to chew. Yeah, any kind of exercise, you know, the, the raw posture, whether it's chewing, uh, there are physical components. It's like a nutrient as well. You know, I think about how you deliver those physical components um, and both sides as well. So if you think about um, bilateral chewing as well to make sure some people chew on one side and they can, um, you know, kind of create a development, de- developmental issue in their mouth as well. Right. Yeah, definitely. So it still has to be like balanced and uh, you yeah, focus on the lifestyle. But uh, where can people uh, learn more about uh, your book and your work? Yeah, so the dental diet's available on Amazon. On um, You can get it on Book Depository worldwide. And you can find me at www.drstephenlin.com. So Stephen with a V. And at, on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Stephen Lin. So we talk about functional dentistry, nutrition, and how it connects to your overall health as well. Mm, awesome. And uh, I'm going to ask my last question from you as well, uh, which is what would be this sort of a habit or practice or a habit that uh, you wish you had adopted earlier that improved your body and your mind? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually wished that I um, understood my sleep breathing better when I was um, younger because the the way you sleep and how you breathe is is so important uh you know for your you know your brain activity you know your everyday well-being and so i've i've gone through the process in the last years on you know getting nasal breathing when i sleep and so um understanding that i would recommend everyone do that because it's such a critical part of your day you are delivering nutrients to your body for that eight hours that you're sleeping so getting that nasal breathing eight hours is crucial and so i would highly recommend everyone focus on that Mm, wow yeah it's it's, breathing is the first thing that you need for existence so definitely something to focus on and sleep absolutely and sleep is also like vital where were we and uh, yeah steven i want to thank you for coming on this show like your book is definitely something that you wouldn't expect to you know that you wouldn't expect it to have such an impact on your overall health but after i read it you know i definitely understood the principles that you know it is very crucial and most people tend to overlook it so i want you know definitely thank you for writing a book and coming onto the show thanks i appreciate it and and i'm glad it it had that effect on you and I, i really hope that people can kind of see the mouth as being you know far more than just this thing we go and get fixed every now and again um you know at, at the dentist that we don't like <laughs> yeah but do but do you have like any future plans with uh, your uh, practice yeah so i mean we're building out this functional all of these so nutrition dental nutrition needs to be the foundations of what we make for dietary recommendations it needs to be the foundations of what health practitioners or what you say understand the body we need to understand all of these things um, from a health perspective so that we can apply them in the application of all disease. So functional dental health needs to be connected to medicine as a whole. And so that's really what I hope uh, we can learn in a broader sense. Mm, awesome. And I, I believe like your work is definitely uh, promoting that and supporting that heading in the right direction. So thanks. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for all your work you do to help people educate themselves about health because it's important. People need this information. That's it for this episode. Make sure you leave us a review on iTunes and other social media platforms. 
and other than that subscribe click the like notification bell as well like always thanks for watching my name is Seam stay optimal stay empowered